it's the University of Brighton podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Edwin Gilson and my guest this week is Dr Jess Moriarty of the School of Humanities and course leader for the Creative Writing MA, Creative Writing BA and English Literature and Creative Writing BA degrees here at the University. Jess discusses the role of fiction in personal well-being and self-expression, this year's big read book and sharing a moment with her former student and our honorary graduate Munro Bergdov during the summer graduation ceremonies. But she started by giving a whistle-stop tour of her personal and professional background. I like to think of myself as Brightonian, so I moved to Brighton when I was eight years old. So I actually went to school in Brighton, I went to sixth form college in Brighton, uh, and then I moved away for my undergraduate degree. I did English at the University of East Anglia up in Norwich, which is has got a fantastic reputation for creative writing. But I actually chose to come back to Brighton, did my master's at the University of Sussex, and then I've been here at the University of Brighton ever since. So I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was now, um, but I did my postgrad certificate in higher education here at Brighton in the CLT, and then I did my professional doctorate in education here in the School of Education. Uh, so, yeah, so so that is a, that is a very brief but correct whistle-stop tour of my academic background. And what was it that motivated that move back to Brighton then after after UAE? I love Brighton. You know, I think Brighton is one of the most glorious places to to live on the planet. You know, it's it's beautiful. We've got the the South Downs. We've, I can't ever imagine not living by by the sea. Uh, and I also really love this university as well. I think that we are uh, a really unique university. We've got lots of diverse students and staff here it's a really exciting place to be as well and still is um, and I guess this is you know this is where this is where my heart lies and also is really tied up with my identity and how I feel and see myself as well. Okay well, we'll get into that a bit more later but you also said that you worked for the Students Union for quite a bit as well could you just explain what you did for them? So I used to, while I was doing my masters at Sussex I used to um, manage the Student Union uh, bar up here at Falmer uh, which is uh, which has shifted about its time and the cafe down at Cockcroft and the shops on the different campuses as well um, so so yeah so that's so I did that as a, it was meant to be a part-time job while I was doing my masters but quickly turned into a, a full-time job um, and then yeah that's what kind of opened up things here at Brighton and and got me into a position where I started lecturing. And what about your early steps in in creative writing then? Can you pinpoint a time in your childhood or younger years when you were kind of first struck by the by the magic of fiction and then did that lead directly to an urge to explore creative writing yourself? So I, I can't remember not writing. One of my earliest memories is just writing my name down and my mum saying, you know, well done for writing my name. And I still remember that kind of joy that you get of making someone else happy with your writing. You know, that is quite an amazing feeling. Uh, and then as I grew up, I always made up stories and poems to amuse my friends or um, we used to put on plays. So we once did... Uh, a, a reenactment of the start of World War One to the music of Joseph and Technicolor Dreamcoat. I can't actually believe I've confessed that. Um, and that was when I was at secondary school as well. So I've always did things like that. And I think I've just always valued the power of storytelling, you know, the va- value of, pa- of storytelling to connect people, um, to help us understand how we feel about the world, how we see the world, how to grow our imaginations. Um, so it's just a, a, a wonderful thing that has always stayed with me. And can you remember any more of your first kind of experiments in creative writing then? You mentioned one there, but um, do you want to remember them? <laughs> Have you repressed them? Or? Uh, I don't... It, would, it tended to be things like... So I would always I would always make up songs and make up parodies. Um, if you, if you, I did do a parody song to uh, the theme tune from Days of Thunder, 
uh, for our netball team and things like that as well. And now when I still see, like because of growing up and I still see people, they still sing to me, you know, the songs that I made up when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. So, um, uh, so yes, yeah, so, so there's just a lot of joy and love in being able to, to write and connect people through, through storytelling. Mm, the legacy of that early work lives on then. Thank you, Edwin, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Kind of a, so you, what, what did you then go on to study and where you went to you said you went to high school in, in Brighton did you that's right so I went to high school in at Long Hill here in um, Brighton then I went to sixth form college at Barnsley in sixth form and then I went to the University of East Anglia to do English um, which is sometimes kind of frowned upon in academic circles be, as being quite um, general but I really wanted to know a bit about English history a bit about politics a bit about literature as well uh, and obviously creative writing too and I got to do all of that while I was while I was at Norwich um, and just how all of those things relate to, 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 to how we see the world and also how we tell stories. Was that the biggest thing you took away from that course then that kind of interweaving of, of history and politics and literature as well? Yeah absolutely and I think that's always stayed with me as well like I, I, I hope that my writing is um, political I hope it is connected to the, the the social and cultural world as well so so yes so you, would you class yourself as a political writer? And it's a bit of a cliched question, but... See, yeah. that's quite an interesting one. When I did my thesis, um, a few, I got a, a little bit of criticism because people say, why aren't you doing um, feminist writing? But I would say all my writing is feminist because I am a feminist. So all of my writing is political because I have political views and I have political ideas uh, and I have a ideology that I'm very much against as well. So, so you know, I, of course, I hope that that comes through in my writing. Okay. Sure. And um, so what kind of gave you the urge to venture into academia from that point? Um, why did you want to teach? Uh, my mum is a was a teacher um, and I can always remember looking at her and thinking how hard she worked and how committed she was to her pupils to the point where I was like I will never do anything like that that looks like that looks like a lot of hard work to me yeah. uh, and also I suppose I just don't think I had I didn't think I had the skills or the patience to, to, to teach either um, and I was lucky enough to, 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 to get the opportunity to do a couple of sessions here at Brighton while I was doing my MA um, and I just fell in love with it you know that, that connection of watching students develop their confidence of watching them be generous and brave enough to share their stories of being committed and disciplined enough to, to develop their writing skills as well and seeing the kind of tr transformational properties that it had on them the transformative properties it had on them as it as it does and still does for me as well you know that is a huge honor you know mm. that is that is something I still um I'm kind of blown away by every day and this is, as we record this podcast, it's the first day of teaching of the new term, isn't it? So you're about to go back into the new cycle. How are you feeling about that? That is right. Well, I've always said to myself, so I've got a hideous feeling. It is something like this might be my 15th year of teaching or something like that. And I've always said, if on that first day of teaching, I don't feel nervous or I feel jaded or I don't feel motivated, that that's the time to stop. But I've always, at this point in the term, think cannot wait to get back in that classroom I cannot wait to see what stories that the students are going to share with me this year mm. um, so yeah and that's exactly how I'm feeling today excellent and so when you were first given that chance to teach then did you did you jump at it or were you a little bit hesitant because of the reasons you've just described about your mum and maybe not wanting to go down that path that she did Oh no, I jumped at it. Yeah. Uh, um, I, uh, at that time, actually, I think this is one of the things that I've always tried to remember when I work with students as well. Um, the gap between um, doing my undergraduate degree and then doing my master's, then that, that space in between, that kind of not knowing, that kind of free for. I mean, I mean um, obviously, I did have a, 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 a 
job that I did enjoy, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, and I found that freefall really difficult. Uh, and 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 I tried all sorts of kind of you know quite self-destructive uh, hobbies and habits in order to kind of anaesthetise myself to that too. And I'm really empathetic with students when they say that they're they're really worried about what they're going to do when they graduate or or when they first graduate and they're kind of finding their way in the world as well because it was like that for for me too. But it was writing that that brought me back. You know, it was it was having the opportunity to to teach and hear stories and do my own writing as well, and um, that really gave me a clear sense of what I wanted to do uh, and and the kind of work that I wanted to make as well. So, is that the advice you'd give to students who maybe are a bit concerned about that? Then, what they're going to do after university? Just stick with it. Stick with the writing. I definitely say do something that you love. You know, you know um, how much time you spend at work compared to how much time you get to spe- do your hobbies a lot of the time. So if you can marry the two things together, then then absolutely fantastic. And I know, you know, I feel very honoured to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, so that's the, the the biggest bit of advice that I'd give to my student is hold on to the things that you're passionate about, hold on to the things you care about, and try and bleed those into whatever it is you do after university. Okay, well, we'll come back to your teaching methods directly a little bit later. But for now, um, one of your main research areas now is autoethnography. I wonder if you could define that term for us and explain why you're so interested in it. So autoethnography um, is, uh, is, is a way of connecting the self um, with your research and a social group under study as well. And also it's a methodology that really values evocative storytelling and, and personal storytelling as well, whether that's poetry or script or prose and also critical work as well. And when I first joined academia um, and tried writing in that um, kind of traditional, conventional academic way, my writing was dead to me you know and I thought why I'm I'm never going to get this it was like it was like that there was this um this kind of world that I didn't have the keys to that I didn't have access to and I kept waiting for someone to go this is how you do it or this is the way in and I just couldn't see my way into it or around it or through it um and then I saw um Andrew Sparks um give a lecture um, at a conference I was at and I was thinking why am I going to see somebody who's interested in sport give a talk and it was like when he started talking a ray of light shone through the clouds because it was saying that in academic writing we need to be more inclusive we need to be more um, uh, democratic as well and a way of bringing new voices into academic research is of course to value more creative personal storytelling too um, and that's just something that really spoke to me then and the, and the autoethnographic work that I read in the main not all of it some of it, you know of course not all of it is is wonderful um but in the main is is the work that really excites me and and, and really makes me feel passionate about academic writing too so does the autoethnography relate only to academic writing or also to your creative writing or, or both I suppose so I now see myself so uh, my so I've just um I've just finished a book which is creative but it is critical and I now feel like that's just how I'd write um so of course I do have creative projects on the only creative projects all writing's creative um but in the main that is the kind of writing that I, I really love to do because it is a way of weaving my kind of my critical research and my um kind of personal um stories and the different styles and genres all together and for me that is a, 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 a dynamic way to write. Does that come quite naturally then can you do that without it appearing contrived or forced i.e trying to kind of you know crowbar your personal story into the academic realm I suppose does that happen quite naturally? That's a really good question actually and and weirdly even though it's called autoethnography my favourite thing about autoethnography is the fact that it's always in dialogue so um, I've just handed um, in a book and every single chapter is co-authored because 
one of the critiques of autoethnography is that it's it can be very narcissistic, um, which. Uh, so, so, you know, as, a, as an academic, I would hate to, to be labelled that. Um, so so I, for me, I've really found that talking to other people and working with um, community groups or community partners as well is a really good way to stop me from becoming too me, 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 me with my writing um, and instead think about how I feel and the way I experience it with the world, but in connection with other people and groups. And do you encourage this approach uh, in your students as well then? Absolutely, of course. Uh, and actually this year, so um, uh, I'm also um, editing a book with my colleague Kate Orterson um, and we're looking for how different people story themselves in their writing and two of the chapters are going to be authored by um, students. So one student who did an autoethnographic dissertation for her master's and one who did an autoethnographic dissertation for her undergraduate degree and they, the quality of the writing and the interest in the writing and the, the social uh, critique as well was just so strong that straight away I said these are chapters we would love to have um, in our book and that to me is exactly what good autoethnography should do, it should bring in new voices to academic research, it should move you, it should kind of you know engage you with the story that's being told but you should also learn something as well mm. and in both of those cases I, I really did. Great to be able to incorporate the students in. Uh, are some students kind of more comfortable than others do you think with that approach or, or drawing on their own experiences or do you find that most are quite comfortable with that? I think we all draw on our own experiences in some way even if we're writing fantasy or horror or, um, uh, uh, or you know a, 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 farce or something like that and we're drawing on ourselves in some way so I think some students um, might not want to say I am an autobiographical writer and that's completely fine um, but also what I do is hopefully offer them techniques for how they can draw on that kind of raw emotional data and kind of transform it into different kind of whether it's plays or film scripts or poetry or prose writing um, uh, as a way to actually story themselves rather than just kind of bleed onto the page if you like. Where do you draw the line then between memoir and autobiography and very personal fiction? You know, I guess the lines are quite blurry sometimes. but They're yeah. really blurry, but that's a great thing, isn't it? As a writer, that's exciting because there is no, this is, has to be done like this and this has to be done like this. The fact that the, 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 the lines between writing are always blurring, and I'm stealing from Bart here as well. People that are listening to this will know that this isn't uh, my, just my own view. But, you know, he said that the, that the boundaries between writing should be blurred, um, and that means that there's always new stories out there. There's always new ways of telling stories as well. So that's, that's really exciting that, that the lines between different styles and genres are always weaving together. Indeed, yeah. In terms of your own work, do you sometimes surprise yourself by what you do pick from your own life to use in your work? You know, there could be a certain part of your life that you haven't necessarily pondered that much for a while and then suddenly it, it pops up in your work. Do you tend to find that? Um, I think I mean, one of the things is it depends who I'm working with as well. So I think you're right, I could definitely get get myself in a kind of writing cul-de-sac if I only ever wrote what I cared about. Um, so it is about kind of how I work with other people as well and, and actually it's the conversations and the writing process with them that, that brings out new stories in me too. Okay. Um, you also say that you like to use personal writing to challenge traditional academic discourse. I think you might have touched on that a bit earlier when you mentioned about mm. not having the key to the, to the door as it were. But um, uh, how do you mean exactly? How can personal writing achieve that goal? So obviously with a lot of academic writing, not all academic writing by any means, it's often in the third person, it's often dry, objective, uh, expert, if you like, which, which of course we're meant to be. But of course all writing tells a story. So I think autoethnography is just a way of saying, actually this is 
my story of the research, this is how I see the, the, this research as well. So it's just putting the I voice more at the heart of the writing as well. Um, and I suppose I do see that as a way of opening academic writing up and also hopefully maybe um, developing the readership as well. Okay, um, I know you're involved in kind of engaging students in, in community projects too. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? What kind of projects are we talking about? Is this in the Brighton community or, or wider? Uh, it tends to be in the Brighton community. You've probably guessed with, with my, I'm slightly Brighton biased with my, with my background. So this year, for example, we did a project with Diversity Lewis. Um, so Diversity Lewis are an organisation set up in Lewis uh, to challenge racism, um, which is extraordinary really because actually this weekend in the press there's been anti-semitic graffiti in Lewis which I know already Diversity Lewis are, are really keen to, to organise an event to, to respond to this and bring the community closer together in Lewis um, but what we actually did is we did a workshop with Brighton Museum um, so Brighton Museum have got an exhibition of Kangas which they weren't 100% sure what to do with or how to engage people with um, and Kangas are a type of sarong popular all over Africa that have different patterns and different meanings woven in to them so we brought people together at Brighton Museum to do a writing workshop around Kangas so that was led by somebody who's an expert in Kangas obviously I am not an expert in Kangas um, and 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 they did writing about their own identity and, and items of clothing as well um, and we're also going to use that to do an event in um, Black History Month too um, and then on the back of that uh, so Tony, who is the director of Diversity Lewis, and I are writing a chapter together. So, of course, that's a way of bringing in new voices to uh, academic research too. But it's also a way of connecting students and staff at the university with, uh, with ideas and, and, and artefacts that maybe they hadn't heard of before or weren't aware of. Um, so, so, you know, that is kind of the way that I like to work, really. And why do you like to get in, in, involved with those community projects? And does it go all the way back to when you first realised the thrill of of writing and the impact that could have on others and would you say it went that far back or? I think it's just if you're thinking about how do we keep our ideas fresh and how do we keep our work and our writing fresh I think one of the one of the things to do is to, to connect with community groups and to learn from their expertise um, and that's just always something that's that's really um, excited me I've also did a project this year with Rise which is a, um, a charity um, for women who have experienced or survived domestic violence in Brighton uh, and we did um, creative writing workshops and, and sewing workshops with some of the women there um, and again, I'm writing a, a co-authoring a chapter with a woman who who took part in those workshops, which you know that is a that is a, a I'm really learning from that group of women. I'm really learning all kinds of um, new ideas and new stories that are transformative, um, and that is a privilege. Mm, of course. Um, and what role does creative writing have in personal well-being? Then I know it's a bit of a broad question, but I know you've got a kind of a research interest in in writing and well-being as well. Is there a clear link between expressing yourself in that way and mental health, would you say? Yes. Yes. <laughs> in uh, brief, yes. Yes. Um, I mean, I think any type of creating, whether it's dance or art or um, music, whatever, you know, whatever your creative cooking, whatever your creative passion is, it is nourishing. Um, and creative writing is a way of expressing how we're feeling about the world it's a way of exploring our relationships or things that have happened to us in the past that maybe we've kind of kept locked in a in a kind of memory box or something like that um, and hopefully um, creative, creative writing workshops are a place to explore those safely and constructively as well certainly that's how it has been for my writing so in the book I talk about my experiences with cancer I talk about um, grief um, I talk about my own 
experiences with domestic violence as well. And through the writing, I feel differently about those experiences. I feel um, I've come to know the experiences of myself a little better and a little differently. Um, so I feel able not to, not to pretend they never happen, but certainly to, to, to feel more empowered about those stories. Is there a kind of um, a mental barrier, I suppose, you have to overcome at first in order to be able to write about those experiences, though, or do you think it comes quite naturally? I th- for me personally, I know some people are really good at this. For me personally, I can't write about um, very emotional events straight after they've happened. Um, and, I, you know, this is something that I always um, advise my students on as well because it's so personal and, and so raw. It's very difficult to offer those stories for critique. Um, and, it, you know, it's not my job as a creative writing um, tutor to damage people's confidence or to make them feel um, that any of the critique is, is personal or about about the, their experiences. It's always about the work. But, of course, if you're feeling very emotionally connected to something it's quite hard to to separate those things and I know I find it hard to separate too so I always try and give myself a a bit of distance and of course that distance gives you more objectivity on that story too Mm. um so so and I find that that the students that I work with are incredibly um brave with the stories that they share as well so 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 a lot of them are, are very good at sharing um stories about issues with their mental health or things that have happened to them. Um, and I find often that that helps other students feel braver too in sharing their stories. But of course, the Creative Writing Workshop, it's not a therapy session. So it is all about how we develop our stories as, 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 as successful pieces of writing. Mm. Um, so so that's, the, that's my advice to students, not just to kind of bleed on the page, but to actually think of these as constructed pieces of narrative. How does it work in the class then? Do you have... Do the students share their stories with each other? Do they share them with you? Is it that very much that workshop environment? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and of course, I share my writing with the students too because you have to put yourself out there for for critique as well. Mm. Um, but but the idea is that in small groups we share our writing and then give each other feedback with the view that everyone wants to progress and improve their writing throughout the course. That might link on to the next question, actually. What do you think the English literature department here does best in general? And maybe you want to talk about creative writing specifically, or you could talk about the literature well, department Well, the creative generally. writing team, we are, we are quite a small team, but I know everyone in that team is really passionate about their students. You know, we really care about our students' well-being, uh, which is embedded into the, kind of, the ways we like to teach and the kind of methods we use. We're also very research active. You know, we're all writing as well, so we empathise with the students about their writing blocks and, and their kind of highs and lows with writing as well. We, we get that writing's difficult and we get that it's personal and we get that it matters as well. Um, so, so, you know, that's the other thing as well. Um, and the other thing is we're all really invested in place. We really like to draw on Brighton, the different events that are happening in Brighton and also the different writers that, that live here as well to try and enrich and enliven the course too. Okay, and when it's something, a discipline is so subjective and personal, like you've just been describing there, um, is it a matter of trying to tailor your approach to each individual student or is that kind of Im- impossible? You kind of have to have a blanket approach in a way but also be attentive to each student's ways of working, I suppose. Obviously, everyone's going to work differently. How do you kind of navigate that balance? I think that's right because every student is unique and so, you, of course, you do need to kind of tailor and bespoke your teaching and your responses to students bearing that in mind um, but of course we all have our identity and our approach to our discipline as well um, so 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 I hope that the sessions that I do I hope that they are challenging that students do find them kind of I always use the expression blood sweat and tears in creative writing workshops um, but I mean that in the very best way and I've got students that still say it back to me now as our students have graduated that say I, I always think of that um, so so there should be 
be that slight kind of pressure and discipline, but also writing is about pleasure too. Um, so hopefully the, 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 the workshops that, that I do kind of combine those things. Well, talking of connecting with students, we had a, a very touching moment at this year's graduation when um, our new graduate, Monroe Bergdorf, um, thanked you, basically, didn't she, for saving her life, basically, that being in quite a dark place at university. Um, what did that mean to you then? Because you obviously shared a moment on stage and it, and it was very emotional for everyone watching. Oh, let's see, it's Monday morning, very early, Edwin, so you're likely to get me uh, falling apart again. I was completely blown away. I mean, what an incredibly kind and, and generous thing for Monroe to do, you know, to share her platform like that with, with me. Um, of all the stories she could have told, of all the things that she's gone on to achieve, achieve in the face of such adversity, and, you know, always sharing her platform, always bringing in um, other people and, and being their allies as well. Um, so to use that moment to, 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 to do something as, as inc- incredible as that, sorry, I was about to get choked up again now, um, was, was absolutely phenomenal, and I'm so grateful to Mon- Monroe. Um, and you weren't expecting it at all? It was kind of off no, the cuff? She, because she has been very generous and been very kind and, and said uh, lovely things about me in the past. So um, I generally wasn't expecting it as well. I mean, I don't know how many graduations you've been to, but... It was, but in the in graduations I've seen, it was it was pretty um, it was pretty uh, it was pretty unique. Um, so so yeah, so so I was I was completely blown away by what she did. Mm. And she got a very good reception as well. So obviously she's touched other people with her campaigning and the work that she's done. Yeah, if anyone yeah. deserves a good reception, it's Monroe. I mean, she, that's somebody um, who is trying to make the world a, a, a better, fairer, kinder place and is, you know, is, is attacked on a, on a daily basis for that too. So, but still perseveres, still carries on. Uh, so, 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 yeah, so I'm extremely grateful and, and humbled by, by that. Okay, and we should talk about the um, poetry competition you're judging as well, which is run by the Brighton Hove Arts Council. Yes. Um, so the runner-up embarks on a short creative writing course here at the university. That's right. This podcast will actually go out just after the deadline for submissions has closed. Um, but what will you be looking for as judge of the competition? Perhaps an amalgamation of things you've talked about already. Um, I think that's right. I th- but again, I think you are looking... F- so th- last year, I was, um, I was lucky enough to judge this competition last year. Um, and uh, I was... There were so many submissions. There were hundreds and hundreds of submissions. So to find out there are, you know, I suppose what we all already knew, but there are lots of creative um, people in Brighton uh, writing amazing poetry, which is fantastic. Um, and I suppose the the ones that really connected with me were personal, but they were also political as well. So so they were kind of insightful, um, they were human, but they were also kind of nodding to the world outside as well. So um, uh, the one that won actually was talking about um, Brexit and the effect that that had had on their own um, kind of... Uh, mental health and an experience of the world too, how they felt about the world. Um, another one was actually about um, their, uh, this person's experience um, with cancer. There were others about ageing, about um, love and about health as well. Um, but they were all, you know, it is that kind of that human insight that is also kind of socially connected as well. And really well crafted and edited too. Okay, important to add. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> so do you think, I mean, that, in talking about that kind of political edge there, do you think the role of fiction is often kind of understated in wider society and the role that it can play in 
kind of political upheaval and, and turmoil. Because we've seen people like Ali Smith do that very effectively, haven't we? Kind of tackle the mm. social and um, psychological impact of Brexit in fiction. Yeah, I mean, a really good example of this is this year's big read. By, uh, so Anna Burns has, uh, is, has written this phenomenal book called Milkman. Um, and she's coming in to, to talk about uh, the book in, in November. Uh, and Milkman is about this woman growing up in the a young woman growing up in the troubles um and the effect of history violence misogyny um the community around her and the kind of the myth and the rumor mill around that and the effect of that on her mental health um and it is it is an incredible story you know it is it, it if you haven't read it then i strongly urge anyone listening to to get their free copy and read it um and it is it is highly political it is highly charged um, but it is also a devastating insight into one person's kind of mental health uh, with all of these things impacting on her. Indeed, and you can find a copy of that on every campus, can't you? So yes, you can. There you go. Well, should we move on to some lifestyle questions then? Please do. Let's do it. Okay, so the first one is, what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? So to my 16-year-old self, I would say, uh, be kind to yourself you know, I'd, uh, definitely, like a lot of creative writers, I'm, I'm my own worst critic, and that has got better over the years. But certainly, my 16-year-old self, I was, I was, you know, always my my worst inner critic voice, if you like. And I, I see that with my students as well, a lot of them too. So, be kind to yourself, um, but also be kind to other people too. Um, I would also say uh, your parents are both right about your posture. You need to get that right. You need to get that in order. Um, take better care of the planet. I'm sure we'd all go back to our, our younger selves and, and say that now. Mm. Um, and also record the voices of the people you love. So I really wish that I'd done more, um, well, just just kept recorded interviews with, with, with the people I love that, that aren't here anymore. Um, yeah, I really wish I'd done that. So, so to anyone, you know, creative writers or not, I, mm. that's, that's something I'd really advise. So you mean to work that then into your, into your writing or just for the sake of having it anyway? I do talk about my, obviously I do talk about people in my life that have died, but just, just for both actually, yeah, just, okay. just, to, just to hold on to, I mean, not that you ever forget some of those stories, but, but just some Sometimes the, the comfort of hearing someone's someone's mm. voice is just unmistakable, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. Um, what about favourite place in Sussex then? Might be quite a lot of options here, given that you're a lifelong Brightonian almost. They're almost, yes. Um, so my favourite place, and this is, again, this is a reason why I'm really lucky. So I live in Saltdean. Um, and for my own mental health, I try and walk every day. So whether that's at night or first thing in the morning before um, my kids wake up, I try and, and walk for, for 45 minutes to an hour every day. And there's a lovely walk from the, on the undercliff at Saltdean um, along. You can walk all the way into Brighton and beyond from there. So um, And watching the sun come up or the sun set, whatever the weather's like, whether it's raining or the sun's out, whatever else, you know, it's, it, the light down there is always different and it is always uplifting. Indeed. And do you try and think of kind of writing ideas along that walk or is it more a sense of trying to clear your head? It's actually a clear my head uh, thing a lot of the time. Uh, but I think it's also taking the moment to feel kind of grounded and lucky. And, and obviously that helps with the writing as well. Um, but definitely I do. I see those walks as kind of my for my well-being and, and my mental health. And actually my colleague Craig Jordan-Baker has set up um, with Aunt Ryan, our student support and guidance uh, tutor. They've set up well-being walks um, with our students. Uh, and one of those will be in, the, in that very location as well. Okay. And I just know how, how beneficial walking and and kind of just uh being in the moment can can help with mental health issues okay and what are you currently reading watching or listening to 
So I have just finished um, An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, uh, which I have I have already highlighted some things that I'm going to share with my students in a couple of weeks' time, actually. Um, I just thought it was a really intimate insight into a relationship. And again, like we've been talking about, politically charged as well. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so I thought, thought that was a fantastic book. Although Milkman is also... Uh, I've just, I read that over the summer holidays and, and that kind of hit hit me in the head and in the heart on almost every page. Watching, I've just finished the second series of Mindhunter. Um, so I, I absolutely love that show. I'm a complete addict to that show. I don't know why I find it relaxing getting um, into the headspace of psychopaths. Um, uh, but I just think it's it's really well done and, 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 and uh, uh, yeah, really uh, uh, kind of tense. Okay. And uh, listening to? Oh, and listening to. So this is, uh, so my family begged me to, to fudge this answer because my musical taste is basically a whole host of guilty pleasures. And they've all got, so my children and my husband have all got really kind of diverse, eclectic, um, uh, cool musical taste. Um, but this summer um, I went to Pride and saw Kylie perform. Uh, and then a few weeks ago I went to an Ibiza um, Classics um, at the race course. And that basically sums up my musical listening. You know, anything uplifting and pop music or 90s dance music, that is my happy place. And, and I'm not going to be ashamed of it, you know. Uh, if, that is my, if that is my guilty secret, then it's out, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I love, to, I love to dance. I love to, to music, the, the power of music to, to uplift. And it's those genres that really do it for me. Okay, very good. Um, and describe your perfect weekend. Uh, my perfect weekend would be so waking up early and going for a walk, uh, watching the sunrise, um, and then um, having lunch in Brighton uh, with my family. So uh, my husband and my three children, Alfie, Riley, and Arla, um, and then going out for cocktails in the evening with my best friend, best friends, possibly on to a nineties uh, <laughs> dance night afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very good. Um, and then the last one then is who are your three fantasy dinner party guests alive or dead or fictional you can also have fictional if you want see this see i feel like i should pick fictional ones but but these ones are alive so i did angst about this um but obviously at the moment it has to be greta uh how she has managed to to galvanize uh galvanize you know people across the world to to, to fight for this planet is completely inspiring um and also her power of um using uh, the way she talks and the stories that she tells in order to move people and inspire people mm. as well i think is phenomenal phenomenal Amazing speeches, yeah. um, so so definitely Greta um, also Monroe Bergdorf who you've mentioned already but uh, but 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 again somebody that is political that is personal um, that is openly vulnerable but is also changing people's lives um, across the world so and also has a, a terrific and very naughty sense of humor as well so she would definitely be there too um, so yeah so two women that, that really inspire me and then the other one I am going to cheat a bit but um, I'm going to bring my nan to the dinner table as well so so sadly they're not with us anymore but it would be fantastic to have one last dinner party with two more women that really inspire me too and that goes back to yeah wanting to go back and speak to the people that have, that have left you absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah all right thanks very much jess you're welcome thank you <laughs> thanks to jess for her time and you can find out more about this year's big read campaign by following the link in the podcast description Look out for the next University of Brighton podcast on Spotify, Apple, Anchor and more podcast apps next Friday. See you then.